Rock, the musical, lands in Newcastle July 18th. Get ready to stick it to the man with the ultimate musical thrill ride based on the legendary film and with a rockin' new score from Andrew Lloyd Webber. School of Rock, the musical. Book now. Live at the Civic Theatre, Newcastle, 18th to the 20th of July. From what's on to what matters, it's Tracy Mack on Newcastle in the Morning, only on Newcastle Live. Welcome back to the program. You're with Tracy Mack. Unfortunately, being gay, lesbian or bisexual is still a taboo in many sports, especially, it appears, in men's team sports. However, things are slowly, slowly changing. Isaac Humphreys, a Melbourne United basketball player, has been applauded for his courage after he publicly came out uh, yesterday, becoming the only openly gay professional male basketballer currently playing in the top tier anywhere in the world. It is quite amazing to consider that we are still having these conversations. Eric Dennison, who is with Monash University's Behaviour Works Australia, joins me on the line now. He's conducted multiple studies examining homophobia and why gay athletes do not come out in sport. Good morning and thanks for your time, Eric. Good morning. Thanks for your interest in the topic. My pleasure. Now, it really uh, you know, it grabbed attention yesterday with uh, with Isaac Humphreys coming out. Uh, Josh Cavallo, he, he came out uh, earlier in the year. He became the first... Uh, the first A-League player to be openly gay. Why is it still so hard for these athletes to uh, to come out? What's interesting is there is a perception, I think, um, that's shared by a number of people that things are improving in sport and that it's not supported by our research. We've done, you know, tens of thousands of studies or surveys around the world as well as interviews. Um, so, so although it's really great that Isaac had the bravery to come out um, and Josh came out um, before him last year. Um, these are, this is sort of the ebbs and flows that are normal. Um, there's actually fewer openly gay male and bisexual athletes globally playing sport than there was in 2016, which was sort of the high point um, in the world. And so we, we kind of in some ways are going backward. I think the re- reason is, is because there's, there's multi- multiple reasons for it, but the biggest reason is because sports have done almost to literally nothing to stamp out the constant use of homophobic and sexist language mm-hmm. in sport that's been documented since the 1980s. Um, and this language is really harmful. So we saw with Isaac, he was talking about um, uh, trying to take his own life because he felt like he had no other option, that he couldn't come out and, and be an athlete um, and didn't feel accepted. And a lot of that comes down from, to hearing the homophobic banter being used nonstop, not only by teammates, mm-hmm. but also by coaches. And of course, these people aren't homophobic. They're just using it and typically it, it has nothing to do with gay people. They're using that to to kind of denigrate anything that's viewed as feminine or weak or you know, less than. So I think that's the big issue. But also there's just not that many of them because we know that gay kids play sport at half the rate of straight kids. So a lot of them drop out by the time that they even get to a level where they could be playing professional sport um, or sadly you know, in some cases, they actually, you know, may take their own lives. It is just tragic. And, you know, the continuation of this uh, this fascination, um, you know, of course, over the weekend, uh, it came out that apparently there are two, uh, two Premier League players who are in a relationship. They're openly gay with their 
with their teammates, but they're too scared to come out publicly. That just breaks my heart, Eric. And, you know, the fact, number one, the fact that that made news around uh, around the world, that in itself is is disgraceful. Oh, sorry, and sorry, I am disagreeing with you a bit today. I actually think that's a good thing. So I think the media largely sensationalized this, and I think with the Premier League story, they did sensationalize yeah. that. They love every few months you hear the story, Premier League player mm. about to come out, et cetera, et cetera, and they never do. No, so that's it's, definitely sensationalism. It's the sensationalism of it, yeah. Yeah, but the interview you're doing right now is very important because mm. I think we run into this sort of, we call them the Who Cares Brigade or mm. Collective. Uh, and I'm sure some of your listeners right now are thinking, who cares about someone's sexuality mm. and et cetera, et cetera. Well, we care as a major public health university because kids are taking their own lives mm. and they're not playing sport and we want them to be able to play sport and we want them to survive. And the behaviors that are occurring in sport right now are really harmful to kids, not only gay kids, but also heterosexual kids. So we know now that um, that straight boys, because often this homophobic language is used as part of bullying, mm. and it sort of gives a, when you allow this language to occur, it creates a license for bullies because it gives them a tool to use that's really effective. So um, they're also harmed. So straight boys are also harmed. But then on the flip side in women's sports, so we often hear this, this sort of common thing that why are there so many lesbians or mm. there are so many lesbians in women's sport and that's just that's just false that's not actually statistically shown so we've done as i said tens of thousands of surveys around the world and in sports like cricket or rugby or afl um we find around 15 to 20 percent of players female players are um are lesbian bisexual or are just not heterosexual they don't identify mm. that's exactly what we find when we do surveys in schools Around 15 to 20% of girls in schools say that they're not heterosexual. In boys, we find about 1% of boys who play sport identify as gay, bisexual, or not heterosexual. When we do surveys in schools, it's around 10%. Now, there's actually no scientific reason why boys and girls are different. Of course, mm-hmm. it should be 20%. Um, but the, the issue here is that um, sport's just not safe. It's not welcoming. And if you're listening to this and you're a parent and you're, you play some role in, in sport in your community or you're a teacher, um, you have an obligation, a legal obligation, but just a, a moral obligation to make sure sport's safe. And it's not okay that coaches, um, when 100% of the, the teams that we do research with, players report their coaches are using homophobic and sexist language. So, And that's in Australia, this mm-hmm. isn't that, but also internationally. So you have a responsibility to make sure kids are safe, um, and we want sport to be a positive experience. We don't want, as you said, I think the issue is we don't want stories like Isaac to be coming out five years from now because sport's not done anything to yeah. fix this problem. We want these stories to come out. We want it to be a non-story because yeah. we're not hearing athletes say that I nearly took my own life rather mm. than coming out. That's the thing. you know. We don't want them to be a story because they should just be normal and it should just be accepted. That's, that's where we need to get to. Anecdotally, Eric, it... <laughs> Why does it appear as though it is safer for female sports people and, and in particular footballers? Why does it appear that it, 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 it seems to be safer for them to come out as, uh, as gay or as bisexual? Is it because of the whole femininity and, and the masculinity around sport? What, why, is that perception correct that, that it, it feels safer for them? Yeah, so that can be answered sort of a number of ways. So you're right. You're, we agree on the masculinity mm-hmm. piece. So men 
and boys don't use homophobic language and coaches because they want to can you know be homophobic they're using it to convey sort of uh this masculinity their bravado right so mm-hmm. it's a, it creates a toxic environment for everyone who shows any sort of softness or weakness in those environments mm-hmm. um and that doesn't exist in women's sports so what we find in women's sports generally probably more so and so netball is less accepting than say sports like uh, rugby or cricket mm-hmm. but we find that women are generally accepted by their teammates as long as they don't make a big deal about their sexuality so the minute they announce their sexuality publicly what their the other their teammates feel like they're tarnishing their sport so by mm-hmm. saying I'm a lesbian or bisexual you're now reinforcing the negative stereotype about our sport that it's a lesbian sport and so they will often get targeted with discrimination once they are public, so they often use this phrase of sort of living in a glass closet. It's okay to be gay, but just don't make a big deal about it because you're going to tarnish the rest of the team, and then everyone's going to make jokes about us being a lesbian team. Um, so, so that's what we find consistently. We've actually found that since about the 1990s, and we still find it. Um, so I think that speaks to this other piece where if you're a parent or, or someone involved in the sport listening to this, you have a responsibility to make sure your team is safe, and a lot of it comes down to women just having conversations, and we find one of the best tools is pride games, so those rainbow-themed pride games. What Clubs that host those pride games use about 50% less homophobic language and about 30% less sexist language, and we think that's because it creates these opportunities. So women can say, hey, actually, who cares about these stigma? the stigma, I'm okay, mm-hmm. you're okay, whether you're straight, you can be here, if you're gay, you can be here. And then in, in male sport, it really is around, oh, I don't need to use this language anymore to be accepted. I'm literally wearing rainbows, right? So it's okay I, I accept people, and I don't feel this pressure to put on this um, sort of mask of masculinity, as we call it, this bravado, this fake bravado that a lot of guys feel they need to put on. How do you feel about the uh, the manly pride jersey, you know, kerfuffle that went on? I mean, obviously that uh, that was that managed to to turn so much away from what was the original intent of it. The original intent intent was a good idea, wasn't it? It was just hijacked. So what was really fascinating is we were working with Rugby Union at the same time as Rugby League was doing this and handling it atrociously. Meanwhile, in Rugby Union, at that same week, we were working with the arguably um, an amateur, but very, I mean, it's a very successful rugby club, rugby union club, that is predominantly Pacifica, so predominantly Samoan and Tongan. And they held a pride game that exact same week, and no one... Uh, refused to participate. Now, not everyone had to wear rainbow socks, but the vast majority of the players did. And other players just wore bright red socks to sort of show their support. But they didn't complain about it. They didn't bow out. And the reason for it is exactly what we're talking about now around saving the lives of kids. Mm. That's the reason why these games are held. They're not held to celebrate anything. They're held to literally stop behaviors that are harmful. So what's happened in, in NRL is they seem to have lost the message that these games, these pride jerseys, they were invented back in the mid-90s to stop behaviors that are harmful, to create safe environments for everyone. And it's kind of been hijacked by this sort of inclusion and diversity, celebrate all these things. It's not about celebration. It's about stopping harmful behaviors. And maybe it's because they're worried about acknowledging that these harmful behaviors are occurring. Or I don't know. It's very bizarre because we've done research with them. And they know that homophobic and sexist language is used all the time. Mm. So I don't know why they just don't 
acknowledge that and say we're doing this because we want to stop behaviors that are harmful. Um, and if they had said that to the players, similar to the rugby union experience, I reckon the players would have would have been fine with that because it's a core religious belief, core belief of Christians to comfort the afflicted, right? Mm. So who's more afflicted than LGBTQ kids? Eric, what is some of the, the homophobic language that he, that is still used? I mean, please, and, and excuse my, my use of these, these words because I, I can't stand them and I think it's disgusting. But, you know, um, when I was growing up, you know, it, it was the, the word fag and the word poofter and those horrible, horrible words. Is that language still used today? Oh, all the time. We're just about publishing. We're just about to publish a paper in the top medical journal in the world, um, looking at uh, sport. And just about just over half of young men you have used themselves words like fag or puff in the past two weeks oh, in God. sport. And then um, about seventy percent of them have heard others use that. And that doesn't matter whether it's in Canada, the Australia. Um, we even did research with semi-professional teams and professional teams in the UK. Um, they use it less and they hear it less, mm-hmm. but it's still used constantly. I think what was most alarming to us is um, in just about every sport we've studied, um, like 100% of teams, that this language, male teams, this language is being used. It's very rarely used in female teams mm. um, and women's teams, but in male teams. I think the only, you know, it, and that includes sports like cricket, even um, the only ones where we didn't find that language being used were like uh, roller derby. One of the worst, bizarrely, um, for this language was tennis which you think an individual sport, mm. why would that be? But it was much higher um, than any, even rugby or AFL. So I think, you know, this language is used all the time. It's not used with an intent to express hate. It's used often just to perform to others that you conform to this fictional masculinity that guys think, you know, that sort of heterosexual tough guy who, mm. you know, is emotionally restrained, a provider, all those kinds of sort of things. And typically what we see as public health researchers is the reason why guys have poor mental health is because they can't live up to that fake standard that doesn't exist anyway. So they don't think that they are, you know, you know, performing like this fictional man is performing that doesn't exist. And that puts them into a really dark space. So, you know, with Isaac, for example, you know, I'm obviously not diagnosing him, but mm. probably his issue there around was I'm not, I'm not living up to what an athlete should be. Therefore, I'm getting really depressed. Oh, it's just, it's horrible. What is the way forward? Is the way forward that we need to, to educate earlier? Do we need to get into our schools and into our uh, our sporting organisations early and uh, and really do this type of training? Or, uh, or is, once again, is that going to make it worse? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is education. Educating kids doesn't work because mm-hmm. that's educating their minds, and these are social problems, right? Mm-hmm. So they're using it because other people are using it, particularly coaches and teachers. Mm-hmm. So I think the big issue is that coaches and teachers and schools are using this language, um, and we need we need you know authorities to crack down and get them to stop. The challenge, of course, is a lot of coaches are volunteers, mm-hmm. and even. In schools, you know, the math teacher volunteers to coach the team. So it's a bit hard because if we crack down, they might walk away. Um, The other thing that we know works really well is pride games. We've also been working on respect women and girls, celebrating Mm -hmm. respect women and girls. We think that can work well to start having conversations around this language. Um, Racist language is still very common in sport as well. Um, We find about 20% of athletes have heard others use racist language recently. So we need, um, you know, that's why we do Indigenous rounds. That's why we do Pacific rounds. It's, It's, you know, these things aren't about celebrating. I think sport needs to start 
dealing with its problems. And, you know, in schools, we are seeing a, a big reduction in the percentage of young people using homophobic and sexist language. It used to be about 60 to 70 percent. Now it's about 20 percent. So, but we don't see that change in sport because sport hasn't done anything about this. So um, I think we need, you know, if we, parents need to know their kids are safe in sport. Unfortunately, right now they're not. They're being exposed to really horrible behavior. And so I think, you know, we need to stamp out this behavior. And it really is a child safety problem. And we're only just starting to look at this now. Um, but there's, there's literally no government agency who thinks it's its responsibility to make sure that children are safe from all behaviors, not just these kinds of behaviors, but even child abuse. Um, they all pass the buck. So it's not a federal responsibility. It's not a state. Mm-hmm. Even human rights commissions don't think it's their job. Police say sport is self-regulated. So there's no one keeping kids safe in sport right now. And this is, you know, the homophobia that Isaac experienced is just one example of that. It is just horrendous, and uh, I can remember back in 1995 when uh, when the incredible Ian Roberts um, came out publicly. I can't believe that we are still having this conversation, Eric, and I, I just, yeah, I just, I can't believe it. it. It's incredible to think that we are still in this uh, in this circle that people still don't feel safe to to come out in sport. And uh, my love of sport and and my belief in in how much sport can do it uh, it is just it is heartbreaking. It really is. Uh, yeah, I agree. But, you know, thankfully, we're, we are big universities and governments are now investing mm-hmm. in the research that we do to try and solve these problems. So to be fair, you know, we are seeing change in that we are now really understanding the depth of the problem and the serious harm that's caused. So I think that's where we've made progress, just yeah. to go back to how you started the interview. Mm-hmm. So we've made progress in that, but we haven't changed sport culture. Mm-hmm. Anyone who thinks that sport culture has changed is, is delusional. Yeah. Look, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, no doubt I'm, uh, I'm going to continue to follow your research because it is something very, very important. And, mate, the most important thing is we're having the conversations. Totally. Thanks for your interest. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is Eric De- Eric Dennison from uh, Monash University. What do you think about that? Do we need to, uh, to change the conversation? How's the conversations going around your kids or your grandkids and their sport? If we have the conversation, it doesn't make them gay. That's one of the ridiculous conversations that you'll hear. It's time for uh, for the conversations and for sport to really stand up. It started to stand up when it comes to domestic violence. It's time to stand up and make sure that sport is a safe place no matter what your sexuality. Newcastle in the morning takes you through the big events and the most talked about stories of the day that matter to you and your life. From what's on to what matters, Tracy Mack takes you beyond the headlines, what it is, why it matters and how it impacts your daily life. Tracy Mack brings you Newcastle in the morning, weekdays from nine on Newcastle Live.